This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 1. This is Writing Excuses Microcasting! 15 minutes long because, in really quick chunks. Because you're in a hurry? And we're not that smart over I, and over again. I'm Brandon. <laughs> I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm screwing up the intro. You guys need to warn us when you're going to do these things. We should just assume you're always going to. Yes, you should. <laughs> mm-hmm. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. The, <clears throat> what are the main reasons some authors only seem to publish a book or two and then you never see anything more from them? They just have only that many books to begin with? Or are there other ways to fail or mess up your writing career? Career. Yes to both of those. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Sadly. And many other explanations as well. I have read some wonderful science fiction books from people whose first book didn't sell well enough for them to decide to pursue a career. Yeah, and this is, you know, this is tragic. It yes. really is. Um, and uh, fortunately, for a lot of these writers, one or two books came out, they didn't do well, they changed their name, and they tried again. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're very serious about writing, that will happen. Um, it is one of the nice things about self-publishing is you never have to, to be published. You never have to have someone saying yes. Um, but the real, I mean, it wasn't the publishers being evil. It's a business. And if a book only sold a few copies, <clears throat> um, what are you going to do? If you're the business person, yeah, let's do another. It just doesn't often make a lot of sense. And so these people would yeah. not get a renewed publishing contract. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the uh, Shattered Sphere series from Roger McBride Allen and wondered why I never heard anything else from him since it was some of the best science fiction I'd read. Uh, realized that uh, he got a really good offer to go write uh, extended universe Star Wars stuff, and that's where all of his uh, mm-hmm. that's where all of his typing on the keyboard went. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes there are people who only have the one book, like Harper yeah. Lee with To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, I've got a friend who uh, came out with a book three or four years ago and published it, and then we asked him what he was going to work on next, and he said, nothing, I'm done. I wrote the book I wanted to write. Yeah. Okay. Strange and alien, but okay. I'm doing a nano month, National Novel Writing Month, with my friends in July. I was wondering what your process um, was for writing quickly under pressure, while at the same time creating cohesive quality content. A lot of pre-planning, and I'm going to speak as someone who does nano every year. Um, I do a lot of pre-planning so that when I go in, I am not spending my time floundering around trying to figure out what I'm going to write. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I will say that for me, the primary benefit of Nano uh, is forcing me to write prose that is maybe not coherent or useful, but that taught me some really good writing habits that I use now when I'm writing things that are coherent and useful. It is my hope that by the time this episode airs, I will be able to answer this question confidently, but right now, I have the same problem you have, fair listener. <laughs> For me, the habits come into it. Write every day. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn something from Nano, learn how to learn your process. Take four hours a day or two hours a day, whatever it is, and do it every day. Um, and if you come out not having hit the whole amount, but having done that consistently, you've taught yourself something. All right. What do you do when you get bogged down in explanation and can't seem to cut down no matter how hard you try? I introduce an external conflict. Okay. Um, so that can be anything from having the discussion about 
uh, how we're going to recalibrate the warp thrusters while they're doing dishes and arguing about which one of them is going to do the dishes to, um, you know, in anything, anything external that I can introduce will give me some tension. Okay. Depends on the things that need to be explained. If the, if what I am explaining is uh, the, the, the new position of all the characters, uh, you know, based on the change that just happened, you know, the, the sequel portion of scene, but it's so complicated, it's so involved that it would be long and boring to describe. I just don't describe it at all, put the characters there, and have them start doing the things that they would do in these new positions and situations uh, and just hit the most important questions as they come up. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, if you're having trouble cutting your, down your descriptions, you need to learn how to cut. And this may be a skill you just need to learn how to do. Find someone you know who is good at it, who's writing you trust, give them a couple paragraphs and say, what would you cut? And look and see, are they finding passive voice? Are they taking your long-winded explanations and cutting them down to more specific, powerful, evocative words? Um, I had to learn to do this by having an editor go through mm -hmm. and do it to my fiction over and over again until I saw what they were doing and realized I can. this is how I can trim. You guys promised a podcast with Hero on Hero of the Thousand Faces <laughs> quite some time ago. I'm still waiting, says Georgie Chalkout. <laughs> In your face, dude. <laughs> we did it. We and did it last done. week, too. It was the most transcendent, awesome episode ever. Unfortunately, that one got lost and we recorded another one, in which we just argued <laughs> just about kind of a lot. Sniped yeah. at each other. <laughs> and said, don't use this. <laughs> I believe it was uh, Hiram Smith who founded the... Uh, Franklin Planner Company, who said that it's exhilarating sometimes just to put a check mark in a box. We put a check mark in that box. <laughs> oh, Hero yeah. Five Faces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, metaphors and similes. What are the concerns about using them in genre fiction? How to pick a strong one and a weak one? One of the biggest concerns about using a metaphor or simile in genre fiction is that sometimes people think that you mean it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. That's yeah. a good point. He flew across the room. Yeah, he flew across the room is the the uh, the classic example. But the one that I get all the time is the reverse of that, where in chapter one of I am not a serial killer, I will talk about, you know, the demon is killing people in town, and everyone assumed it was a metaphor when it totally wasn't, and it was mm. an actual demon. So be very careful about that. Mm -hmm. Metaphors are one of the best ways to be pithy, and cool, and also one of the easiest ways to go purple and have mm -hmm. bad prose. In fact, um, the, the bad opening sentence contests and things that people do, usually the winners, so the worst, are really bad metaphors. Mm -hmm. It um, was like, yeah. and then away mm -hmm. you go. Yeah, and so be careful. They can be really cool. Terry Pratchett can spin a metaphor so, for in such a way that it's just beautiful, but he's also writing humor, and so he can play that humor thing, writing a metaphor, you know, and particularly in science fiction, you know, it would, it stank in there as bad as a Glorzik on Fleeber now, you know. <laughs> that yes, was one of my favorites. Time, if you, yeah. if you actually did that well, it is yeah. a good way to right. explain what the 
Glorzik on Fliebernau is. Yes, yes. Well, your, your character is from Fliebernau. Right. right. And this is a type of drug. That's what I was getting at. Oh, okay. Oh, oh that's what I got. So your character okay. is a recovering Fliebernau addict. See, that's why the metaphor is bad. That one is bad. <laughs> that's why it, that you have to worry about that. Because if, if we'd said, as, you know, as bad as, as a junkie on speed or something like that, it makes perfect sense to us because we have a we share a common thing. Metaphors, if we don't share the common, you have to you be You could very get careful. away with as bad as a junkie on Neo Fleber now. Yes. And now yes. we know that Fleber now is a drug and it's had multiple iterations. Yes. Yes. Awesome. We need another question. Um, Quickly. Let's go ahead and do the book of the week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The book of the week this week is A Memory of Light. The last book of the Wheel of Time. Dun-dun-dun. Finally. Um, by this time it should be out. I should have finished it. Um, I actually have finished it, but I should have finished all the revisions. And um, hopefully lots of people in suits will not be breathing down my neck, staring at me angrily for ruining the company. Um, so, um, so how are you feeling about that? I'd be more worried that? about the people in cosplay. That's true. Yes. Also people in cosplay and I said I, um, shawls breathing down my neck and um, threatening to drag me out back. Heavily breathing yeah. down your neck like no. junkies on Fleaver now. I feel really, really good about the book. Um, <laughs> I, the ending is <laughs> Robert Jordan's ending himself that he wrote. Oh, really? Um, he wrote the last scene himself, virtually unchanged by me. Um, there are some little edits, you know, editing things we've done, but um, it's great. I think you guys will enjoy it, and um, you can get it by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Help support the podcast, start yourself a free 30-day trial membership at Audible, and pick up A Memory of Light for free, uh, and pick up another book for 30% off. All right. A lot of people ask about short stories. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we can cover short stories. We certainly can't in a microcast. Um, and even a given podcast, we can't cover short stories. It's just too big a topic. But Mary, they ask for um, short story writing tips and pitfalls. Maybe we can give them a few pitfalls, especially how to know when you have the beginning of a book instead of a short story early on. Ooh, boy, that one's tough. Um, a lot of... And how to tell... I wish I'd known you were throwing that one at me. Okay. Do we want you to think about it and we'll throw another one at Dan? Ooh. I mean, I can do pitfalls. It's the, uh, I mean, one of the the common pitfalls, which I have talked about repeatedly, is too many characters. Yep. And uh, and that is actually a a warning that you probably have a novel, Mm -hmm. um, is when you realize that you have all of these characters. Um, The other thing is multiple scenic locations. Can okay. Also be, yep. Because it, it's it's about momentum um, and slowing the reader down. Um, yeah. Let's 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 let's, let's do can of worms some set? more short story ones. I mean, yeah. there's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. This one's going to be fun. You may can of worms this one too. How do you write sex scenes? I've heard there are many ways to <laughs> screw it up, and yet you have never talked about it in the past seven seasons. Also, should writers write sex scenes when they have never experienced it? If so, how do they research it? If not that. 
Why? Mean rating. One of my favorite sex scenes ever is actually in Glamour and Glass that Mary wrote, which is this incredibly prim and proper Regency fantasy. And there's a scene where you can tell that the husband and wife are starting to give each other the look. And then there's a sentence that's like, and then they were occupied for several minutes with duties marital. (laughs) (laughs) And what's funny is that that actually makes me blush. That's that's a perfect scene. Um, you know, Michael uh, was it Michael Collings or Michael Brent mm-hmm. Collings? I think it was Michael Collings who said that uh, uh, writing horror is a lot like writing writing erotica because you are trying to elicit a physical reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are trying to write uh, erotica. We are probably not the people to help you with that. Yeah, well, but, but you can you do don't... a sex scene that isn't necessarily oh, I know that. erotica. Oh, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If you are trying to, uh, if you're trying to write sex without writing it as no, we erotica, could do, we could do a whole podcast on this. The, the thing to understand is that it's it, it's going to vary. Our answer is going to vary yeah. depending on the type of fiction you are writing. Yeah. Yep. Because clearly, in Regency, I'm going to write something very different than I would write if mm-hmm. I were doing science fiction. Um, and, and, you know, I have written more explicit scenes. Right. The, the biggest challenge is that um, sex, if you br- start looking at the individual pieces of it, is yeah. messy and kind of funny. Yeah. And so trying to describe it in any kind of detail generally has to be handled uh, with that in mind. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's going to vary so much. So much depending on your genre and your own inclinations. Um, it's interesting. Uh, on on a side note, a lot of people seem really worried about this. That um, that like this this person says, should you write them if you've never had it? I mean, what, how do you research all these things? Um, if it has a place in your book, go ahead and give it a try. You are imitating things. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what you do as a writer. I've never killed anybody, but my characters have a lot. The thing is. Um, a lot of writers seem to get worried that if they don't include X, Y, or Z, either the publishers will want them to, or they'll get pushed to, or the book won't feel authentic, or things like that. Um, that I've never had that experience. If you want to do the the old Truman Show thing, if you remember the Truman Show, they're like, what do they do when he has sex? Oh, they, yeah, they, they cut away, cut and away just watch and, the curtains blow. Yeah, the curtains blow, or things like that. Go ahead and do that. That works in a lot of genres. If it doesn't work for your story, you're probably best off asking someone other than us. Well, I mean, the same thing that you would... Yeah. Actually, you can ask me. You can but, ask Mary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm the one that's not Mormon? Is that why? No, I, I, <laughs> I would say... No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I've read all of our work, <laughs> and none of us have any stories that I read have we put it in. Ah, uh, okay. And so I would say if you're wanting to do a graphic sex scene, I'm saying don't ask me because I haven't written them. Right, I can't right. give you advice on this. So far as I know, you know, if you have, I haven't read that story. I haven't read anything by any of us where we have. Uh, uh, that's probably just as well. Mm-hmm. From, from anyway, but the, what I was going to say is that actually, the, the what he's getting at is that you should find people um, where you think that those scenes work really well. Yeah, yeah. If you, you know, think George R. R. Martin's sex scenes are done really well, go talk to him and say, "How did you do or these just really well?" Not even talk to him. Yeah. Just read the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Read the book and analyze how it's done. The same way you do with anything. There we go. Um, all right. Oh, another. So uncomfortable. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're the one who asked the question. I know. I, it's a good question. It it's something good we question. haven't touched on, so I thought we should at least touch touch on. Like I've got like 50 here asking for the um, the hero's journey. So in your face. Um, <laughs> all right, we, we get to time we get to for make one check more. mark after check mark yes. after check. check mark. All right, science fiction or fantasy poetry. Uh, I can't help you at all. That's what they're asking about. Um, uh, we're going to have to get somebody else. We're going to have to get a poet in here. They're asking how to do it or ask where about to sell it. Have any what? of you included poems in your fiction in any form? Uh, yes. yes. I okay. have my husband write it. You have your husband write it. Okay, good. Um, I write it very timidly, knowing I'm not very good at it, and so I try to minimize it and downplay it. Um, usually I'll go find something that's got an established meter, um, and I'll copy it. Mm -hmm. um, so that I at least know I'm doing, you know, and I'll, I'll copy their structure, their rhyme and their meter exactly. Um, the biggest thing to worry about is creating doggerel is easy. Creating mm -hmm. something that's cool is hard. And there are lots of places for doggerel in stories. Oh, most yeah. songs are going to be what we call doggerel. Um, you know, and lo most poems of the people, you know, a lot of them will be memorable because they have a catchy rhyme structure um, and, and they're, they're pithy. Those are fine. If you want to get to high art poetry, you're going to have to, again, go to a poet. Um, and this is not something I'm good at. Um, Dan, well, you're the most poetic I, person I, I know. I write poetry all the time, and I've never put any of it into a book because I've never found a good reason to. Um, the one thing I will say is that if you're looking for specific advice on science fiction fantasy poetry, I think you might be approaching the question from the wrong direction. Um, good poetry is good poetry regardless of the subject or the genre and so you know just study poetry and then write that but about you know dragons well, or spaceships or whatever it is you're trying to do one of the things that we've talked about before also is that uh, uh, studying poetry reading poems is a great way to learn how to use language in prose more effectively uh, you know read some read some Edgar Allan Poe read uh, uh, Nevermore, what was the, the Raven, mm -hmm. uh, read, read the Raven before sitting down to write about a crazy person um, and see how your language changes there, as a result. There is also a science fiction, um, science fiction poetry association, Yeah, which uh, would probably be a really good place to go for questions. Is it called sort. SIFPA? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do a writing prompt. What does <laughs> SIF Sifpa? Sifpa. Sifpa stand for? SFPA. And what's going on in the SFPA? And it cannot be so fancy public address. Okay. This has been Right Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like 
Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 